just taking a little one-week diversion from Nehemiah. Uh, Tim will be back with us uh, doing Nehemiah next week. Um, on the basis that we've been talking about overcoming things uh, in God's plan. Nehemiah was overcoming enemies of what God was trying to do. And uh, we thought that it would be a good idea to look at overcoming temptation uh, in the New Testament and how we can do that as individuals. And so we want to look at Matthew chapter 4 and be very practical as we get to the end of it. Because overcoming temptation is something that we all face in our Christian experience. I don't know about you, but my life has been a series of overcoming temptation. Um, Maybe I'm abnormal, but I suspect that all of us have had to try to do that. And we're going to look in Matthew chapter 4 because Jesus also faced temptation and overcame it. Um, In all the three Gospels where the account of Jesus' temptation is, it says that he was led by the Spirit into the desert. So part of Jesus' ministry was to show that he as the Son of Man could overcome temptation. And in the book of Hebrews then, it says that he faced temptation, and he, as we do, as all humanity does, and yet he was without sin. So in a sense, Jesus is the second man, uh, sorry, the second Adam, um, and whereas Adam failed in the Garden of Eden to overcome the tempter, um, Jesus succeeds, and so then Jesus' life is, is perfect for us. He sets an example, but he also enables us to overcome temptation, because then he can send his spirit in us as well. So we want to look at this nature of this temptation and and realize that temptation is a part of the human experience and we need to learn to overcome temptation as well. Um, And so that's what Jesus does for us. It, It says that he was tempted in Hebrews in every way, just as we are. So somehow, probably in these three temptations, they epitomize all the sorts of temptation which humans can face. I want to try and show you how that comes together. Uh, and he obviously did that through his next two and a half years worth of ministry as well. It's, Luke tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Um, as a man, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, as a man, he overcame temptation because uh, he was tempted in every way which we are, as a human being, as a man in that sense. And so his experience can indeed, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we too can overcome temptation. That's the astounding thing, that Jesus' death on the cross doesn't just deal with our sin in the past, it, it also enables us to have Christ formed in us, as it says in the book of Galatians, and chapter 4, and verse 19. At the end of this period, Satan attacked him after the 40 days in the desert in three ways relating to who he was as a person and his mission and his relationship to God. There's three different places he takes him to. In the wilderness, the temple, and the peak. Three different points of failure which he could have encountered. And three different attacks. And I want you to notice that Jesus talks back to the devil, as A.W. Tozer entitled one of his books. Jesus talks back to the devil, and we'll see what he does, in particular he does that. Look at the first temptation in the first couple of verses. Verse 2, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And that if there is a since you are the son of God. It's not that there's any doubt if you might be and maybe not. He's not proving himself. He's saying, since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
This is the temptation, which it says in, uh, if we correspond it with uh, the book of 1 John, and um, chapter 2 and verse 16, which we might call the lust of the flesh. If you've got your Bibles, just, we, we need to keep our fingers in 1 John 2 and verse 16 as a sort of correlation of the sorts of temptations which Jesus faced and therefore we do as well. 1 John 2 verse 16 says this. It says in verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings or the lusts of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so there's the three types of temptation which we as humans face, which Jesus faced, and the temptation which he has here as well. I want to show you how those work out in, in practical, practical ways as well. So here's, the, if you will, is the, the, the attack on, on, based on the, the lust of the flesh, our human needs, if you will, or the desires of us as humans, happen in the wilderness, and Jesus responds and he says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is the temptation which relates to us as humanity and our basic human needs in that way as well. It's taking the physical things of this world, which we all need, which God supplies for them, for us, and yet the devil wants to use those things to thwart us in our dependence upon God. He wants to make those desires unnaturally used in that sense. Remember, the devil can't create anything. He's not got the capacity. He's not God. God creates things. All the devil can do is twist that which is God has made for our benefit for an untrue purpose. And so Jesus recognizes in this, he was hungry after 40 days, that if he made the stones become bread because he was hungry, he'd be using what he had the wrong way. And that wasn't how God designed him to eat. In that way, food was meant to be food. God would take care of him as well. So, so Jesus, the devil, is using the normal human desires, food. We could look at all the human desires uh, which we have. We have a desire to be loved. Uh, we have a desire for sexual intimacy. We have a desire for food. We have a desire to work hard. All those things the devil can take and twist and use for his own ends. It, it's very subtle sometimes. Who doesn't want to work hard? The opposite of it, who wants to get something for nothing? The devil uses that too. But the need to work, the desire to prove yourself, to work hard, can be used by the evil one, and it become a god in itself. Intimacy outside of marriage is, is something which the devil uses. Food, gluttony, not eating enough, all those things which are normal in our human experience, the devil can take and twist and use the desires of humanity, the cravings of the flesh, if you will, uh, is how it's described in 1 John. Uh, this was Adam and Eve as well. Eve saw that the food was good for food, the, the fruit of the tree. It was good for food. And Jesus comes back and he says to Jesus, yeah, you, you've missed the point, devil. He talks back to him. He quotes the Bible from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And man should live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, it's not just about the stuff of this world. How many people do we know who think that this life is all that there is? The stuff we go through. You wake up, you live your life, you die. There's nothing outside of it. And yet God says there's something more to that. 
Sometime, sometime this last week I spoke to somebody and, and they said, it doesn't make sense. They just lost somebody in their lives. It doesn't make sense if this is all there is. <laughs> it doesn't. Nothing makes sense. If, if this life is all, if the, the needs of us ourselves as humanity is all that there is, nothing makes sense. And the devil will try and get you into that place. Now, there's a sense in which he specifically looks at Christians and wants to get you there. Because the marvellous thing, and I'm just digressing slightly, very deliberately, is that is the devil in one sense is not interested in people who don't love Jesus. He, they're, they're, they don't love Jesus. What he specifically likes to do is attack those who do love Jesus, who know him. Because the devil knows that God delights in us being his friends and him using us for his purposes. And he likes to use a clean vessel. That's you and me. So if he can make you dirty, if he can foul your life up with sin, it becomes harder for God to use you. It's not impossible. But there's no joy in that for you as well. And so the devil loves to attack Christians with sin. It's a bit of a shock to the system. I remember when I first started to want to follow Jesus properly, all of a sudden, attacks seem to come left, right, and center. Maybe I was sensitive for the first time in my life to God. Maybe it's because the devil got his finger going, I don't want to ruin Andrew's Christian experience. I don't want Andrew to be used of God. And so you have to start to overcome sin. And this first temptation is just about the stuff of this world, which God provides for us, which we need, but he twists its use, twists its purposes. The devil can't create anything. All he can do is twist what God has already made. And that's the nature of the first temptation which Jesus faced. The second temptation continues uh, in verse 5. He took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are, since you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Maybe the devil learned that Jesus knew his Bible and was going to quote it back at him. So the devil quotes scripture. Um, I suggest to you that the devil knows the Bible. He's very good at using the Bible wrongly, twisting it a little bit. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered them, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus now is attacked as the Messiah in terms of his relationship with God before men. And that's what the devil wants to do to us. He wants to attack our relationship with God. He doesn't want us to stand in us to take our proper standing as sons and daughters of God. He doesn't want us to know our true identity, if you will. We could list all the things about our true identity, couldn't we? We're children of God. We're redeemed. We're bought by the blood. We're blood-bought. We sang about that this morning. Not just human blood-bought, but divine blood-bought, if you will. We, we have redemption. We have salvation. We have all the, all the standings of heaven. We are placed in the heavenly places, it says in Ephesians chapter 1. All the blessings of God in Christ are for us. So Jesus was attacked as the Messiah his relationship with God before men. He says, do a spectacular act 
so that others will know who you are. You can prove yourself. And friends, if we get this temptation sometime to want to perform as Christians, rather than rely on who God has made us, if you, if, you, if you understand what I mean. So God has made us who we are. He's brought us into his family. We're his children. We belong to him. We're redeemed. And, God, and the devil says, prove it. <laughs> do something. And we will do something as God's children because who we be will flow out into our lives. But the devil wants to, us to prove by our actions that we have a relationship with God. Do something special. He's twisted again. He twists the scripture. He'll command his angels concerning you. He'll lift up their hands so that you'll not strike the foot against the stone. He misses a part of the verse out. And he's trying to get Jesus to perform a miracle so that people will believe who he is. It, again, it's very subtle here, isn't it? It's about who you be. And if we have to start to prove who we be by what we do, we're falling into this same trap. Now, it's true that if we be the right kind of people, we will do the right kinds of things. It's just, it flows out of it. Good, good fruit grows from good trees. But when we start to say to ourselves, I must do something in order to prove who I am, then we've fallen into the trap of the devil at that point. Very innocuous. It's really a battle for the mind in that sense as well. He quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 through 12. But he misses out. Guard you in all your ways. And that includes not putting God to the test. And so Jesus quotes back to him. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, so Jesus is saying back to the devil. I'm not going to. Do a spectacular. I'm not going to prove who I am. I already know who I am by doing an action. I'm not going to put God to the test. And ditto, we shouldn't put God to the test. There are a number of ways which we can put God to the test. And I, I don't want to digress too much. But in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas came back to the church and they'd been on their first missionary journey. And there was this big discussion about the Gentile believers, would they have to do all the same things which Jewish believers did? Jewish believers kept all the laws. They believed in Jesus and Jesus superseded everything, but they sought the law they should still keep. And Paul says to them in Acts chapter 15, no, 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 don't put these people to the test. <laughs> you couldn't keep all these rules when you were Jews. <laughs> Why do you think they can do it? Gentile believers can do it now as well. And when we as Christians start to put our rules on non-Christians, we're putting God to the test in a sense. It's a dangerous place to be. We need to know, we need to help people to get to the place where they do things by the Spirit of God inside them, not because of legalism, which was the problem in Acts chapter 15. Digress slightly, but it's this idea of putting God to the test. When I have to perform to prove who I am, because I keep a set of rules and legalistically do it, I'm putting God to the test, I'm falling into the second trap, which Jesus was tempted in as well. It's a great danger in the church. There's a first generation in the church which has freedom from, Jesus, freedom from sin because of Jesus. And they oftentimes get concerned that their children don't fall into the same trap. 
So they tell them the rules they need to keep. And they believe in Jesus. But it rarely goes to the third generation at that point. And we live in a country now where we're on the fourth generation. They're so far distant from having God in their lives. Because we're a fourth generation. It used to be when I was growing up that everybody had a grandma who went to church somewhere. The Methodist chapel. Or the Anglican church or the Baptist church. We're so far from that now. The influence of Christianity has waned. And it's because, I suspect, of legalism. Christians needing to prove who they are by the rules they keep. By doing something special to show that we're different than everybody else. Not because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we live a different life as a result. It's the difference between a spiritual life because of the Spirit and a spiritual life based on human rules to prove that we're different. Jesus' temptation was to do something special, to put God to test, to show who he was. We shouldn't do that either. Don't put God to the test. It was good to the eyes, Adam and Eve. <laughs> it was good to the eyes. It was good to, to, for people, for them to see. It was observable in that way. It was the lust of the eyes, as we see in verse John chapter 2. To look good before others because of your relationship with God. Now, I just make a slight note again, another little detour, that God does test our character. It says in James, it says in Jeremiah that God, God, God gets rid of the dross in our lives. He, he puts us through trials and temptations so that we can prove that the real thing is there. The real gold. That's what God wants. He wants to purify you. And the only way he has of doing that is to get rid of the bad stuff. And he does that through temptation so that you can overcome temptation in your life. Jesus responded, as we said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only serve. Jesus reminds Satan of two things. He did not tell him. He reminds him of who God is, and that we need to serve him. Therefore, Jesus knows that Satan's giving is a lie, because it's only temporary. It is true that Satan is the prince of this world, but God did not give him the world. Satan is the prince of this world, but God did not give it to him. We, humans, give Satan the power by our wrong actions. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 describes this as giving the enemy a stronghold in our lives. And the reality is, when you do something to try and prove your relationship with God, you're giving the enemy a way into your life, a stronghold. It's a dangerous place to be in, in that sense. Third attack which the enemy brought up against Jesus is that in, in, in the next verses it says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Sorry. So, so in a sense, the devil could give it to him because humanity had given it to him. We live under the authority of the prince of the air, not because God gave the enemy that, but because humans have have ceded their right to be the, the vice the vice presidents president of president the vice persons of God here on earth. Adam did it when he sinned. Jesus now is being the perfect man and showing that it doesn't have to be that way. And we, as followers of Jesus, blood bought, indwelt by his spirit, 
have that same authority to overcome sin. And so when the devil says, hey, I've got stuff I can give to you, it's a dangerous place to put yourself in. He's attacking him. He wants to provide for Jesus what God had promised him through submission. You see, Jesus was going to have all the kingdoms of the world. Because he submitted to God, he's going to give it to him. And he did that. Jesus did exactly that. He submitted himself to God, the Father, and he died on the cross. And he's going to bring all the kingdoms of this world under Jesus. Jesus is returning as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Somebody say amen, please. He's coming back as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's going to come back with authority because he submitted to his father, not because the devil gave it to him. How does that apply to us? When we try and do God's work the wrong way, when we try and do God's business in our own strength, in our own power, without submitting ourselves to God, this is the third nature of this temptation. Doing God's work without God's power, not doing it in God's way. The devil tempted Jesus. Bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything you want. Christian ministry, dare I say it, is littered with ministers and churches who've tried to do God's work, not God's way, but man's way. With power. With money. Not, those aren't necessarily bad things. But they're not God's way. We need to do God's work God's way, the same as Jesus did as well. In our own lives, we need to do that as a church as well, uh, in that way. The temptation, if you will, is to compromise God's method, God's plan, to take a shortcut to the end. And Jesus again reminds Satan as he talks back to him. He says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's black and white, friends. The third temptation is, co- is covered, is taken care of. Well, we choose to worship God and serve him only. One of the things I, I think over the last years I've discovered that the word fear, fear the Lord your God, trust the Lord your God, love the Lord your God, worship the Lord your God, all describe the same attitude of heart. Everybody serves, loves, fears, or trusts something. Everybody. Everybody has faith, or serves, or trusts something. As that great philosopher Bob Dylan wrote about. (laughs) And that's what God is saying here. It's what Jesus is saying. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the primary commandment. That's the way we overcome the devil's temptation to serve God and serve him in the wrong way. Satan is twisting scripture again. Satan knows his Bible. We have to know the Bible, the scriptures, rightly understood better than he does. You know, the Christian who's not reading his Bible, not trying to understand it, not trying to soak in it, is almost destined, <laughs> sounds terrible, to fall into some of the traps of the evil one. He really is. I want to close with some practical things as well. 
How do I overcome sin in my life? I've got five things here, which is a lot of things, I admit, but five things. First thing is this. Three basics you must believe. That God is good, that you're responsible for your behaviour, that in Christ is deliverance. Three basics. If God is not good, you don't believe that, then that means that something's out, everything that comes into your life is a bit of a question. Is that from God or isn't it? No, God allows things, he brings things, and God does it because he is good. The Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the tempted, to what us to be tempted. You must believe that he is good. He is good. You must believe that you're responsible for your behavior. When you start to own your own sin, that's the, that's the beginning of overcoming it. We know what Adam did. The woman you gave me, God. <laughs> Marsha, you're responsible for my stuff. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. In the book of Ezekiel, there's this wonderful phrase. Our parents ate sour grapes and set our teeth on edge. Men want to blame their wives. Children want to blame their parents. <laughs> You're not owning your own problems, your own sin. You'll never overcome when you're blaming your circumstances, people around you, where you were born, for your sin. It won't happen. And the third thing you have to believe is in Christ, there is in reality deliverance from sin. That's the blessing. It's not just that he forgives me for my sin, it enables me to overcome sin as well. In Christ there is victory. The Greek word is Nike. I love it. <laughs> You know a shoe, shoe called a Nike? It's the overcomer. We can be overcomers. First John chapter 5. Because we trust in Jesus. I'll skip number 2 here because I'm well aware of the time. Number 3. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for a renewed mind. So much of this temptation is in here or here. We need to have a renewed mind. We need to have a mind that wants to love the things of God that the only place to get the renewed mind is by reading the book. God's given everything we need for us in the book. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the law, the prophets, the poetry, the gospels, the letters, the apocalyptic scriptures. Everything we need is in this book. Now we need to rightly divide it. We need to understand it. But this is, this is how you get a renewed mind. This is how you get the mind of Christ from the book. We need to soak in it. We need to enjoy it. We need to love it. We need to read it. And then we need to understand what God wants for us. He allows temptation into our lives so that we can be stronger. So we can get rid of the, the dross, the stuff which isn't gold. So we can become more like Jesus. That's what God wants. He could take away temptation. He could dampen our human desires. He could rearrange schedules. But no, he doesn't do any of those things. He allows temptation to come so that you can overcome it and therefore be stronger, more reliant on him, more dependent upon his, his voice, his spirit in your lives. And then finally, very practically, persevere. I have a friend who you can talk through stuff with, who you can pray with. 
Believe that Christ is interceding on your behalf so you can overcome temptation. Believe that we should work with friends, close friends, not everybody and anybody, but somebody who you trust so you can overcome the sins. You can take it to the Lord so he can hold you accountable, she can hold you accountable. And remember that we can overcome sin. And when we do sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's from 1 John chapter 1 and verses 7 through 9. So we start over. We start over. Jesus died for our sins. God wants us to be forgiven, but he also wants us to start looking more and more like Jesus because he was the perfect man and we can start to overcome sin in our own lives as well. Won't it be marvelous when Jesus comes back and this body is taken away from us? You see, I know how you can stop sinning. I'm going to stop sinning one day. I'm going to die. It's that simple. I don't know a single dead person who's still sinning. Do you? And the way to the life now where we stop sinning is to die to self. To die to the cravings of this world. To desire to the, the die to the desire to want to look good in front of people. And to die to the desire to do God's strength in my own abilities. I need the help of my church family. We need help my spouse to do all those things. We can encourage each other and support us. And we can indeed be overcomers. Nikes. Overcoming sin and temptation in our life. Let's pray together, shall we, before we close. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus. And he lived this life as a human. He faced temptation as a human. As it says in Hebrews chapter 4. And yet, temptation which is common to all humanity. Every kind of temptation he faced, and yet he was without sin. And we thank you that we have a Savior who lived a life which was perfect, not because he didn't face temptation, but because he did. And we thank you that he gives us his Spirit, so that as he was led by your Spirit, so he could be that, that second Adam, that perfect man, we too can start to live in his ways. We too can look more and more like Jesus as we overcome sin. Lord, give us patience with ourselves, with each other. Help us each in the journey towards more, looking more like him so that Christ indeed is formed in us. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.